0: Just to get to the point, I bet if we were all to take our masks off and we were all to get honest for just a second and not pretend in front of people anymore, if we were to do that, I bet we would be able to confess two things. We long for perfection in every area, and we're also a little disappointed. I bet if we were to be honest about everything in our lives, we long for perfection, and we're a little disappointed. And it's not that things are terrible, but it's like, things could be perfect, things could be great, things could be paradise, but they're not. And so I walk with this little bit of disappointment in everything I do. And what I mean by that? Well, um, thank you, Facebook, making it very clear that the perfect man or woman is possible. You just have to do these 17 things. And if you're not, what are you waiting for? You know, I mean, we, we, we have this idea of, if I do these things, then perfection is possible. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there are no perfect men or women. You may say, oh, that good dude's perfect for me. And then you find out, well, they're not exactly perfect. They'll do. <laughs> but it's in, it's, it's in us, this idea of perfection for something more. And, you know, we do it with the, the perfect man, the perfect woman. Ladies... The perfect wedding? Uh, I mean, how many stories have we heard about, oh, the perfect wedding? This is my ideal wedding. This is my ideal wedding. Well, typically, this is what ends up happening at perfect weddings. Oh, man. The looks of shame are fantastic. And I could just watch that over and over. But the idea of the perfect wedding, the idea of the perfect, uh, and, and having four children of my own, um, hearing the idea and seeing on Facebook that the perfect pregnancy is possible. Um, ladies carry this weight and this pressure of it has to go my way or no way. And somehow Facebook piles on this guilt if you don't have the perfect pregnancy. So why do we even go online is my question. So that's really the point of this morning. Keep your joy, stay off Facebook. There we go. Um, but with pregnancy, the, the, these women feel this, it has to be perfect. Has to be perfect. Um, with with jobs, we feel like it has to be the perfect job. And two months later, when things aren't perfect, we're looking for greener pastures already because we're ready to go somewhere else to find the perfect job. We want the perfect house, and as soon as we move into the perfect house, we realize it's not perfect anymore. We start looking for something else. Perfect vacation, dig this. In South Carolina, there is this wall. They have this room, and I'm not sure where this room is, but I saw, I was watching the news, and they have this room. It's got all these big screens on it, and ultimately, all these screens are dedicated to is tracking Twitter trends, so what people are talking about. So you've got the hashtag, whatever the phrase is, what people are talking about, and so that's all they do is they can tell you how many people, how many millions of people talked about this one topic. Well, this last weekend was 4th of July weekend. And this last weekend, Arthur decides to move his way up the coast. And so, of course, the topic of conversation on Twitter was Arthur. But not only can they track what people are talking about, they can track the sentiments people are expressing about the trending topic. And it was far and above every other emotion, anger. Over what? My perfect vacation being ruined by Arthur. A non-stop conversation about a hurricane. <laughs> like, we can do anything to stop a hurricane. I mean, really. But it was amazing because we all believe I should have the right to a perfect vacation. Perfect friends. I mean, seriously. All that I want is someone who only cares about and talks about me and what I want and then, and then listens to me talk about me. That's all I want. Is that so impossible? The perfect friend. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Don't, don't interject. Don't say anything. Just let me talk about me. And then you tell me about me and how good I am. See, all of us are, are kind of walking with this, I need perfection. The perfect whatever it is. There's something in us. Now, when we walk with that, we typically walk with unmet expectations and a little disappointment. Now, maybe you're not one of those people who's affected by any of those perfect things I just mentioned. Maybe you're kind of like, well, this is Asheville, man. We go with the flow here. No matter. It's cool. I'll live in a, a chicken coop. Doesn't matter to me. That's perfect house for me. As long as it's got wheels and can be moved and I can c- put my compost underneath that chicken coop and I can uh, recycle it and I can put it back You know, I, I'm cool, man. I mean, that's, maybe you're not affected by those things. But there's a bumper sticker around Asheville that I love, and I don't really like a lot of bumper stickers, but there is one in particular, and it's this one. It says, if you aren't outraged, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) What are you mad about? Everything! (laughs) I mean, that's, that's really the idea, the sentiment of this bumper sticker. And I think there are some things that when you look around, you begin to go, okay, I get it. I'm unsettled. And some of you in this room can understand that When you see or when you hear of children being abused or sold, it angers you and it causes a distress in you, as it rightly should. Families aren't meant to be torn apart by selfishness or cheating. Kids shouldn't have to live in fear of being bullied at their schools. Substances and addictions weren't meant to have power over us. The world wasn't meant to be scarred by violence or war. Skin color wasn't meant to be a rejection factor. Sons and daughters weren't meant to hate their moms and dads. Innocent lives weren't meant to be cut short because of starvation, famine, incurable diseases. And authority was not meant to abuse those under it. So maybe you didn't long for the perfection of those first things, but something in you recognizes that these things are not normal. That This should not be as it is. And in his book, Forever, Why You Can't Live Without It, Paul Tripp makes this statement, and I feel like it's one we have to sit in for just a second. He says, so much of your distress at what is, is really a hunger for what will be. So much of your distress at what is, is really a hunger for what will be. And this morning, as we continue in the idea of joy, of keeping that joy, there are a few things that we get to know that if these don't spark the hope of life in us, then nothing will. And we'll continue to live with constant disappointment, constant frustration, because we're going to look to the things of this earth to find perfection in paradise. And sadly, we will not find it this side of eternity. But do you know why we long for perfect? Do you know why we long for it? Well, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, in my opinion, is one of the greatest emo songs ever written. So if you can listen to black hair over the eye, black eyed makeup, screaming for 13 or 14, whatever, how many chapters are in the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get everything is vanity. And by vanity, I mean everything is fading. Everything is futile. Everything is going. And none of it really matters. And the man who we assume wrote this book, although he never gives his name, we assume it was Solomon, the wisest and wealthiest man. And he tried everything. Girls, power, money, education, owning things, land, farming. And he says it's all vain. It's all vanity. It's all going. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we come across this nugget. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Does that say the Christian heart? No, it says the human heart. This is a humanity thing. This is not just a Christ follower thing. The longing for eternity God placed in our hearts So you will hear people who are not Christ followers say, this isn't right, outrage, something should be done, this should stop. And there's a reason for that. It's because God has put in the human heart forever. And what we do, according to Paul Tripp's book, is we struggle from eternity amnesia. We have forgotten that we were made for forever. We have forgotten that we are not just for here. And is it any wonder, to be honest? Is it any wonder we've forgotten? Because when you consider the pub conversation and coffee house conversation, typically forever isn't the topic. I mean, if my sons ever came home from school and they were like, Dad, we talked about eternity at school. Like, eternity is a long time. But they've never done that. Social media, really, it's just all arguing about one thing or the other, about eternity, and how the people who believe there is eternity are morons, and those who don't believe there is an eternity are morons, and so we're all calling each other names, and so nothing gets done there. Even entertainment tries to portray eternity and forever, and they do a really poor job of it. They do a real, I mean, seriously, have you seen Zion in the Matrix, that one long sweaty rave, disgusting, that makes me go, absolutely not, that better not be my eternity, because I ain't going there, I ain't a germaphobe, seriously, I can't do that. Typically that's why the entertainment industry sticks to the here and now, that's why the theme of most movies is go for right now, right now is all you have. And I understand the sentiment, because in the Bible, we are not promised tomorrow, I get that. But we don't live as Christ followers, as those who only have today. When we know, according to the Bible, there is more. And when you choose to live, and when you live with this forgetfulness, you live with false expectations, as we talked about earlier. You put perfection on everyone and everything. And if they don't match up, you have this disappointment deep within. You become a control freak. Because if now is all I have then I better control it to make it as perfect as I possibly can right now. You begin to slip into unthankfulness and this ingrateful, not really caring joylessness. See, when we forget that we were made for forever, it's really easy to slip into joylessness. And eternity is not just a positive thought to think down the road but it's a part of who we are. And this is just a humanity thing. God has put eternity in the hearts of humans, but we can't see God's scope from beginning to end, which is why we put our head down and head straight for now. So what does this mean? Colossians chapter 3. This is the invitation for Christ followers. How do we begin to turn the ship? Colossians chapter 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... This is for those who would call themselves Christ followers in this room. If you are not a Christ follower and you're just kind of checking things out, you're more than welcome to sit and observe. But I want you to understand how Christ followers are supposed to operate in this world. And to operate in this world as a Christ follower, we are to set our sights on the realities of heaven. I love Paul's words here. This is not a coincidence that this word is used. The realities of heaven. It doesn't say, imagine yourself swimming in blue slushies. Imagine yourself bounding and leaping for joy on cotton candy clouds. Imagine yourself flying on a unicorn. So set your sights on the realities of heaven. Watch. Realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. I'm here to clue us all in and myself the joy of eternity is that Christ is king. The joy of eternal life is to lay eyes with, our, with sight on this one that we have believed in faith. See, the joy for a Christ follower is not that eternity is just kind of a hangout spot, an open bar forever, just chilling, doing whatever we want. It's that God is king and he's there and we're with him. That's the joy of a Christ follower's desire and longing to be with God. It's not that we're just kind of done with stuff and we kind of hang out and do nothing forever. But no, we are with Him. Christ is King. This one we have believed in faith, we set eyes on. And we see Him as He is. No more veils, no more blinders, but we see Him as He is. When we go back to God's original plan, and and Sue talked about it, it was God wanting to be with us. I mean, can you imagine for just a moment being able to enjoy each other and God without sin? What I mean by that is being with folks and not struggling with jealousy. I mean, what I mean by that is looking out over the mountains of North Carolina during a sunset or a sunrise... And not freaking out or being anxious or worrying or fearful about a bill you've got coming up that you've got to pay. Like free from fear and anxiety, free from sin, to be able to enjoy God, enjoy each other. That's really hard to imagine. Because I know how wicked my heart is and how quick I run to other things. But that was God's intent that we would walk with Him, that we would know Him. Several years ago, we did what was called the story of God, where we tried to take 16 episodes and tell the story, the overarching theme as best as we could, of what God was doing from beginning to end. And in the very first episode, we just, we, we went with creation. We did no fall, because that's really hard, that's the part where we all go, yeah, we screwed it up, I get it, we did bad, we did things we should not have done, yes. But we tried to stop before that. Tried to just sit in the idea of what God intended what did God intend when He created us? And what we see is that He intended to be with us and we with Him. Does that even spark anything in us? Does that cause a longing in us? Because when I look at the the scriptures, I go, yeah, it does. In them, they they got something that maybe I've forgotten. Maybe I've forgotten that the Christ followers' greatest joy is Christ. You see, Paul said, For to me, to live is Christ, meaning the thing I want most in this life is Christ. And then he concludes that phrase with, To die is gain, meaning the thing I wanted most in this life, when I die, I will get if it is Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Can you say that about the thing you long for the most? Paul could. That's the joy of the Christ follower. That the thing I want most in this life, Jesus, I will get in death. And it won't just be kind of like this floating around orb type thing. It will be I will be able to lay eyes on him and rest in that. I mean, for me, that's just, it's shocking to think about, you know? But this is what eternity amnesia does to us. It causes us to forget that we are forever beings. And we look down and we look at everything surrounding us and go, oh, might as well throw in the towel. But what we see happening in the garden is very simply Adam and Eve no longer being content being with God, but wanting to be God. And this is when things get Slippery. No longer were they satisfied with just being around God and enjoying Him and each other. But to have the here and now to go, I want to control my destiny. I want to be in charge and to actually feel the weight of that. We've seen what's happened because of that. We've seen that because of all of these things, because of our choosing to be God rather than to be with God, we see separation. The one thing God longed for for us was to be with Him. Our sin separated us from Him, resulting in chaos. When humans control things, give us a long enough time, and we will drive it straight into the ground. And not just chaos, but death. Death. Romans 5.17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Now, can you imagine if sin entered the world and God did not shorten our lifespan, What types of sins do you think we could create if we were immortal? I mean, we come up with some crazy stuff in 60 or 70 years. Imagine if there was no limit put to us as sinful human beings. But there was a limit put on us that was not meant to be. Death was not to be the case. But yet we see because of one man's sin, death is ushered in. You know, this is where I struggle with the idea of death being normal. When I talk to people and they're like, well, death is just a part of life. I understand that now. I get that now. I get the sin, the death, the whole thing. But in my heart of hearts, there is an unsettledness in me when I get a phone call saying someone I love has passed. Last year was a year of loss for both my wife and I, uh, for family members, and it was just this one, I mean, one thing after another, and it... In me, my heart was not at peace going, this is normal. You know, when a funeral planner and I have to sit down and talk about someone's funeral, there's something in me that goes, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And when I look at God's intent at the very beginning, it wasn't. But yet, the the last part of Romans 5.17 says, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it and will triumph over sin and death through this one man Jesus Christ. You see in Romans 8 Paul continues to unpack this idea of future glory. And he says in Romans chapter 8 verse 18, yet what we suffer now. Now this suffering could be physical, it could be a physical suffering that you're walking through, it could be mental, It could also be you observing people suffering and it causing something in you to suffer when you mourn along with somebody who is suffering. It could also mean spiritual suffering. It could mean for those who are in Christ, the persecution and the suffering you have experienced because of the gospel. Many of which, uh, many of us in this room may not know that kind of suffering, but there is also another type of spiritual suffering when we see the bigness of Christ and who he is, how good he is to us, and our sin weighs us and hurts. It physically hurts where we're like, my sin put Christ on the cross and we suffer in that. Sometimes my heart gets so heavy because knowing what my sin did, and that is okay. I need you to understand that it is okay to mourn over your sin. I need you to understand that it is okay to suffer with that knowing going, man, I cannot believe my sin put Christ there. And that is a suffering the world is not associated with. They will never understand that. But Paul turns this in the end of, As he continues, he says, But yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly. Pay attention to that word. For that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, there it is again, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death And decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope, there's the third time, for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised. Think of the engaged couple. Thank you, Facebook, for the engagement countdown calendar. 212 days till we get married, 211 days. I see all these people's time countdowns. I'm like, get over it. Seriously, we know you're getting married, okay? But you can't tell that to the engaged couple. The joy of knowing what's coming. The eager longing for that. You know, for the the pregnant woman who finds out she's got this alien burrowing in her stomach for the next nine months, taking over her body, and then coming into the world, taking over her life, and, and, his, and, and the dad's like, and we love that. I mean, I'm like, we really, are we, you know what, we have four children, feel bad for us, but we did it to ourselves. <laughs> but it's that longing, that eager longing, that expectation, that's what Paul is speaking about when it comes to God's Promises the future glory. It's not checking out mentally and going, you know what? Jesus is coming back. I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna sip on something. See the Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica. The people were like, so Jesus is returning, right? He's gonna come back. Okay, break time. Everybody sit down and do nothing. Paul's like, uh, no, <laughs> no. That's not how we eagerly wait for His return. That's not how we eagerly wait to inherit His promises. But we move and love and live building the kingdom that one day we will see with our eyes. No longer believe in faith. It'll be legit and we'll touch it and we'll hold it and we'll see it. This causes the head to lift up. Um, for... Just to give you guys a picture. For me, this is a great picture, and I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. After reading The Hobbit, I loved this scene, but then they, I was so glad that they showed it in the movie. And uh, the band can come as we finish up this morning. But the question I have for you is when was the last time, as a Christ follower, you lifted your head? And by lifting your head, I mean not just looking around, looking around. I mean you lifted your head to God's Word, and you were like, God, please let me see your end picture. Let me see what you're doing. Let me see what you have. Let me see where you're headed. Because in Romans 8, 28, a very famously quoted verse among Christians, Paul kind of brings this whole thing of future glory to a wrapped up kind of little nice little landing point. And he says in Romans eight twenty-eight, And for we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. We like to use this in our temporary moments, which yes, as a Christ follower, we do believe that God uses everything that happens in our lives and He brings us through it. He doesn't waste anything. But when when we whittle it down to just our moments, I have questions for people who use phrases like, this setback is just God setting you up for victory or your blessings just around the corner what if it's not can I just ask you that what if it's not what if what if in this life your suffering doesn't see the perfect ending that you want right now I hate to be a realist but at the same time I also look to the scripture and go no this is very real That even though death and decay have had their heyday on this planet, God is working for our good in Christ Jesus. His plan is all things new. And that is where we are headed. And so when this this scene in The Hobbit, you see it, you're like, this is kind of confusing. And what they're doing is they wander into this forest and Gandalf gives them very specific instructions. And the forest's design... It's to keep you in there, never to let you go. You're not supposed to get through. And Gandalf gives gives one word of advice to them, and one of them happens to remember what that advice is. That breath of fresh air, like you all know what that's like when that hits you. You know, like you've been in, in a hot, like working in a garage or whatever, you step outside and you're like, oh, wait, that's what it feels like to be outside. This is what I'm talking about when the chaos and confusion of this world have you so swept up in it that you haven't taken a breath, looking into God's eternal purposes, that you have forgotten that this is not where we anchor down. What we see in the the story of Scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews is typically known as this book that is Jesus is better. That's really the theme of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's typically known among Christian circles as the hall of faith. People who lived their lives trusting God. Men and women who just said, I believe you, God. I believe you. I believe you. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, we see a description of these people. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Jesus makes the same exact statement in John 14, chapter 1, in a very um, very chaotic season, In the life of Israel, he says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. See, the overarching theme of scripture is God with his people. That's where he's headed. He's headed. In Revelation 21, and I won't read all of it for you, but in Revelation 21 you see God explaining and the the story, and He's unfolding it to John as He's writing the book of Revelation, this letter to the church during a time when the church was being marched to death sentences to be eaten by lions, when they would sing songs of faith as they headed in that direction. So some of them they would pull out of line and begin to drill holes in their heads to see what is wrong with these people. And so it was during a time of severe persecution that this letter is penned to the churches to go, don't forget. Don't forget that your momentary sufferings now fail to compare with the future glory God has prepared. So this morning, what have you forgotten about eternity? What have you forgotten about God's big plan you see when we remember that when we remember what Christ has done and what it purchased for us it does sound too good to be true and as the church sometimes we just kind of go eh yeah I don't want to sound like a crazy person talking about eternity with somebody so I'm just going to bury that nugget way down I, I, it just sounds too weird to even talk about with people. And so we'll debate what eternity might look like, and the parts of the Bible that we don't understand in Revelation we argue about, but we don't pay attention to the things we do get. And what we do see clearly is that it is God with his people. Not even death and decay can keep him from us. And what he did in Christ Jesus brought us into that relationship. That's where he's headed. He is headed to with his people. If that doesn't lift our head and lift our eyes and help us walk today in very difficult things, nothing else will. You'll keep putting perfect on things of this world, and you'll keep finding disappointment and faults and errors and things not satisfying. See, it's very dangerous to forget about eternity. It's very dangerous to forget what Christ purchased for us on that cross. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten where we're headed? I think that's the question. Because if you have my hope is through God's word, you will be able to as as Bilbo did in that scene, peek your head up through the chaos. Just take that breath. I can see where we're headed. I can see where we're headed. Can you hear me? I can see where we're headed. Because when you lose sight of that, and you put your head down, and you forget that you were made for forever, that you were made for eternity, the chaos that ensues the joylessness that rules our lives, the disappointment, the frustration. But to be able to have joy in all circumstances, as Paul spoke about. It's not shiny, happy people fakeness, but it is this internal spring that God says he will put in us through Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you've forgotten, I just want to invite you guys to stand with me. You know, sometimes I have to get real, 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 concrete in my own brain about the joy of heaven, the joy of being with God, the joy of being in his presence, no death, no decay, no sickness, tears being wiped away with God's own hand. Sometimes the concrete thought I have to have is, you know, I'm going to be so glad that I'm not going to have to visit a doctor in heaven. I'll be so glad that I will not have to sit down with a funeral planner in heaven I mean, granted, I, you know, I need you doctors now, I do, so please, please work on me if I come to you. But no death, no sorrow, no weeping, but being with the one who rescued us. This is a joy keeper. It's a central joy keeper. So this morning take some time as we sing songs if you need to do business and you need to repent of joylessness or forgetting that that God is good and that he's in control and that he loves us and that we're headed somewhere. This is an altar, it's a place for you to st- to come myself and maybe some of the gel leaders Joel or whoever else is here can be over here if you need somebody to pray with you. to have conversation with. That's the invitation. But that you would lift your eyes and remember where we're headed. Lord, thank you for loving us, thank you for making your plans and the mystery of your plans made to us through your word, and I pray that if our world is chaotic and confusing and we're struggling and we're wandering, Lord, may we lift our eyes just for the moment to take the breath because of your word, may we not run from eternity, but may we begin to rejoice in it, that you will be our God and we will be your people.